where you are watching uh, the Jets hold a news conference to address the response from the NHL and those involved with the sexual abuse that took place with the Chicago Blackhawks back in 2010. Now, it is very hard to summarize a 70-minute news conference for those of you just joining us, but as you can see at the end and the start, an emotional Mark Chipman was the first one to speak and spoke of personal experience surrounding sexual abuse and attempted to show the kind of empathy that many felt had been lost in the response to the report coming out of Chicago over the last week or so. He expressed his support for Kyle Beach and Kevin Dayoff and what Kevin Dayoff did and didn't know. The Jets GM himself said that he didn't know what fully transpired. He said, I did not know Kyle was sexually assaulted and that he assumed that when Aldridge left the team, the issue was resolved. He thought it was inappropriate texts and unwanted sexual advances, which is what the head of HR with the Blackhawks suggested that she had remembered about the situation in the Hawks report. Uh, said Shovel Day Off, Kyle was failed by a system that should have helped him but did not. I am sorry that my own assumptions about that system were clearly not good enough. And both Chipman and Shovel Day Off reiterated uh, their commitment to helping the cause moving forward. Now, we understand that this can be triggering to some. We understand that approximately one in six men will experience sexual abuse in their lifetime, one in three women. If you know someone who has been a victim of sexual abuse, uh, if you are someone who has been affected, you're not alone. There is help available. Survivors have access to a 24-hour multilingual toll-free telephone line for immediate crisis and referral services at one 866 887-0015-186-886-887-0015. So the tone and emotion uh, much different from what we saw yesterday. And as I said on this show, um, Gary Bettman, in association with Bill Daly, Gary Bettman kind of sort of felt cold, kind of sort of felt like a lawyer who was protecting the shield and contributing to what Tara Sloan adeptly called uh, a culture of silence, as opposed to simply human beings that realize that something terrible had happened here. In fact, a day after Gary Bettman made those comments, uh, the first public comments since a report on the Blackhawks investigation was released, Frank Saravelli, the president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, issued a statement condemning the NHL for attempting to freeze out TSN reporter Rick Westhead during yesterday's news conference. Now, Westhead, who is not a member of the PHWA, has been at the forefront of the reporting of this scandal, but was not called on to ask a question until other reporters on the call insisted on it. Saravelli wrote, and I quote, at best, the NHL waiting 47 minutes to call on the journalist leading the charge and reporting on this heinous story only after the league was publicly outed for not doing so was an awful coincidence. At worst, it was an attempt to further avoid accountability and control the narrative. Uh, Frank Saravelli now joins us on the line. Frank, we really appreciate you taking the time after that 70-minute news conference held by the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, Tim, what a stark contrast from yesterday to today. Yeah, I, at first blush, let me give you your opportunity to react to what you just saw uh, over the past uh, just over an hour. Well, it, it was real. It was emotional. It was empathetic. It was human. It was, in a lot of ways, the response that I think 
fans of the game deserve from the commissioner and the deputy commissioner yesterday. And, and I think when you look at Mark Chipman's comments right off the hop, he said it best when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, we need to fight the urge and the logic to defend. And you mentioned defend the shield from Gary Bettman. And, and really, in a lot of ways, what the commissioner did yesterday in defending the shield with the legalese and, and the sort of stance that he put up that was so cold, it and protecting the NHL's business interests in the process, or at least that seemed to be the goal, that, that was in a lot of ways what the Chicago Blackhawks did back in 2010 when they decided to prioritize winning the Stanley Cup over ensuring the safety of not just one employee but multiple employees in this case and properly investigating Brad Aldrich. And so to hear Mark Chipman in this case step out of the box and, and not just apologize and say those two words, I'm sorry, with real personal meaning and emotion, and you can tell how much it meant to him, but to hear him say, I'm going to use all of my influence in the National Hockey League to make a systemic change to a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. This is one of the 10 owners in the league that's on the NHL Board of Governors Executive Committee. This isn't just some Joe Schmo in the NHL. This is one of the most powerful men in the business taking a, t- a second to say, we need to put down our swords here. We need to have a real conversation and to quote him, be part of a process that says enough. And that was incredibly powerful in its own right. And we can debate Kevin Sheveldayoff and his role in the process. We heard him make and state his case as to what exactly he knew at the time. And everyone wants a body on the tarmac here. They want a head on a spike. We've gotten enough of those, but I also thought it was pretty powerful in what he said that I'm lucky enough to be someone that has a chance to still make a change in the game, to be an empowered bystander, to speak with Sheldon Kennedy, to go forward and to take his online uh, classes and try and make progress here and get better. You know, we all want to go back, I think, and unring the bell and and take a step back and say, well, you know, I might have done this or I would have done that. And we can't do that now. All we can do is move forward. And I think today, this press conference, uh, not just fans in Winnipeg uh, can be proud of the stewards of that franchise with the tone that they set and the words that they used, but also the confidence that emanated from it in terms of the authentic message that there actually will be something coming from this and that they will actually try and make the game better. It doesn't. It didn't feel like words. Whereas opposed to yesterday, Tim, it felt like a lot of legalese words and words that went way over your head. Yeah, it didn't feel like a, like a human response. It felt like something that was cured, that was manicured, that was that was set up. And and I think when when people are responding the way we see on Twitter, and you know, I'm starting to see things calling for Gary Bettman's job at this juncture in time. I think what people want. And this is maybe a microcosm for 2021, but I don't think they want the body. They just want accountability. They just want people to stand up and say, we are going to hold ourselves properly accountable and make sure that that doesn't happen moving forward. And I don't think people have seen enough of that thus far. Uh, Separating from the facts, do you feel like that's what people want at this juncture? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think they want a league and a sport that instead of being reactionary, is at the forefront, is, is helping put in and place actual processes that can make a difference instead of, you know, merely lip service. I mean, you look at 
even going back to Akeem Aliou and the Bill Peters investigation from two years ago, the fact that all these other investigations in the league were met with a higher priority, including the Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes and their draft combine scandal for improperly testing prospects. Like, how was that wrapped up in a much quicker manner than right. the use of, of racist language in an NHL or AHL dressing room? It doesn't make any sense to me, and it doesn't make any sense to others. And so what you end up with is you hear about the league speaking of processes, and then you see that they're not followed up on. You see the inaction that follows and you say, well, those words ring hollow to me. I didn't get that same sense from the Winnipeg Jets today. We mentioned your letter. Why was it important that you as a president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association and your collective put that out to the public? Well, well, first off, I wanted to put my name on it also because I think it's important to stand up and be counted. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot in this industry of connections that you make with people, sources that you have, different people that you talk to. And I'm not sure at this moment that all of that matters quite as much. And not to say that I want to burn bridges and throw all that out, but this is what's really important right now. And if our organization being journalists that cover this league so closely on a daily basis, can't step up and say, enough is enough, you know, something needs to be said here. It's not enough to just have it pointed out casually on, on the Zoom call by another reporter after others were given second questions for, for someone else. Why should someone else that's a journalist have to even say to the NHL on that call yesterday, I'd hope that you would call on our colleague who has led the charge from uh, not just Kyle Beach's behalf, but so many other really important stories to say, why doesn't this person have the ability to ask questions? There's optics, transparency issues that are in play here. And it wasn't lost on me, by the way, Tim, that the very first person that the Winnipeg Jets called on in their press conference today from the Zoom portion happened to also be requested. Without a doubt. Um, do you think that Gary Bettman is in hot water after Monday's press conference with owners who employ him? Hard to say. Um, I haven't canvassed owners around the league. Um, my understanding with as long as Gary has been in office and has held his tenure, um, you know, it's not lost on me that this seems to be really percolating for the first time that I can remember. You know, there may have been some whispers from fans, but the fact that it's come louder from journalists and other people around the league that cover it so closely, um, you know, it, it, this has grown louder than it ever has before. It's gone to a new level. But I've always been under the assumption with how long he's been in power, with how much support he has and loyalty that he's built from within his own ranks, that Gary Bettman will be in charge as long as he wants to be. And until he makes that decision otherwise, I, I, I have a hard time believing or seeing an end in sight uh, in terms of the owners taking a step forward to have that conversation. You mentioned the league following instead of leading. Uh, I've been thinking about Tara Sloan's words from yesterday about the culture of silence within the game. And a lot of people who watch this show know I grew up in a hockey family. All three brothers played AAA hockey. I tried to play some hockey. My dad played some minor pro hockey. I lived in the prototypical Canadian hockey family. And when I got into this business, I went far away from hockey because the culture of hockey 
push me away. And that's not to say that there aren't wonderful, wonderful people in the game of hockey, some of whom I am really close with to this day, some of whom I've met in the last 10 years. But do you feel like this, this culture of silence, this team before I has led to some of these issues being more about the team than the player, which is wonderful when it's a superstar being humble and not worrying about points and worrying more about wins and absolutely terrible in a situation like this where a championship was put in front of a human being. If we're real, the answer to that is yes. At period, end of story, end of sentence, that's it, move on. I mean, of course it has. I think we'd all be naive to sit here and say that it hasn't. And all the amazing things that hockey does so well, and, and watching Mark Chipman today, I was actually thinking back to my own personal interaction with him covering the Humboldt story and his involvement in helping that community and that franchise get back on its feet and the empathy that he showed them. Then, and the, the charity, uh, the, all the amazing things that hockey culture does do and teaches people in our sport and, and brings, you know, you know, the way that it assimilates people into communities, especially newcomers to Canada, and, and all the amazing different things. But this part of it, it's, it's ugly. And it gets in the way, I think, of how popular this sport could be. And I think that makes it incumbent on all the rest of us, you know, myself included, to continue to learn to say that enough is enough, to step up today and to put a statement out and to say something. Because if we're not doing anything or we're not doing our part to make this better for everyone, well, then we're really not doing anything at all. And we're perpetuating it. So um, it's on a lot of us to learn and get better, all of us, I should say. And I'd like to think that today, listening to the Jets, that we're going to make that step forward and try and do that. Well said. And this time, let's not just say it. Let's do it. Let's make this game better for everyone who wants to be a part of it. Frank, always appreciate your candor, and thanks for doing it today. Thanks, Tim. Uh, there is Frank Saravelli, dailyfaceoff.com, and, of course, the president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're lining up some breaks to get you to Hockey Central with David Amber coming up 6.30 Eastern, so less than 10 minutes away. You will get more coverage of this right here on Sportsnet. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff is sitting to my left. And as always, uh, you are the friends of the show. And a lot of you people weighing in on what they heard over 70 minutes with the Winnipeg Jets News Conference and, of course, uh, my interview with Frank Saravalli. Sylvia writes in and says, what we want is accountability and consequences from this Blackhawks scandal. This was a crime and nobody is acting like it. The league is a joke. Uh, we always encourage you writing into this show. We believe in interaction. Gary writes in and says, uh, when you come back to the show after the press conference, I would rather you focus on this short clip of truth instead of the current one-hour song and dance of denial. And it is from Tara Sloan, who was on this show yesterday. We had a quick conversation with Ron McLean, and then she was on Hometown Hockey, where she spoke about the culture of silence and leading and not following. And that's why Gary Bettman is under fire. Jesse, I noticed uh, when we were talking to Frank Saravelli, oftentimes uh, we'll go to our computers and pull up stories that are happening uh, as we speak, like these tweets. 
live and on the move. And did I notice that uh, someone wrote something in the Toronto Star suggesting that Gary Bettman step down? Yeah, that's right. Kevin McGran uh, has written a column, and the tweet that he put out says, Gary Bettman must do the right thing and resign as NHL commissioner. Now more than ever, an NHL commissioner needs to read the room at large. Times have changed. Expectations have changed. Society demands better. And Tim, uh, you and Frank talked about this. Um, Gary Bettman had an opportunity yesterday to read the room, Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what he failed to do yesterday. The press conference yesterday was similar to all the other press conferences that Gary Bettman has. It was shrouded in the the same legalese, as Frank put it, Mm -hmm. that he would have in any other press conference that he's talking about, whether it be relocation or salary cap issues, and there wasn't that, um, as Tara put, Tara put it, humanity that I think a lot of people were wanting and right. expecting. And I know that there are people within the game that want to protect the game. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I will mention here is that when we saw this at Michigan State, uh, when we saw this in, uh, in women's soccer, the same sort of silence met these issues. And it's not just hockey. At this juncture in time, we're seeing it in hockey, but it is across society. And hockey, microcosm, all sports of life, you can make it better. You can help lead the way, and many others can follow so that we don't see the same sort of predators lurking in churches, Mm -hmm. in schools, in and around all sports. And I think hockey can do that in this moment in time, even though it's not all about hockey's code of silence. There's a lot of silence to be shared in a lot of different places. All right, time to send it to Hockey Central. David Amber, Justin Bourne, Mike Feudal will join us. As for us, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. We'll go to Houston ahead of Game 6 of the World Series, which you can see tonight on Sportsnet. Ken, the Astros force a Game 7. We'll talk about it next on 360. find themselves one win away from winning the World Series in 2021. Homer off Valdez in game one, hits it in the air to right, back at the Correa sends one to center. That finds open real estate. Altuve's going to score easily. And this will bring in another run for Houston. We are tied. Bases full of Astros. Fifth inning. And the first pitch to Gonzalez. A swing and a little flare. Left field. And it drops for a base hit. The monster that is the Houston Astros. They just refuse to go down. And the 2-2 again. And a swing and a miss. He got him. And they came roaring back to send this World Series back to Houston. The Astros kept hope alive with a dramatic comeback in Game 5. Can they force a Game 7 with a win back at home tonight? Remember, 2-3-2. Astros are looking to become the fourth team in World Series history to come back from a 3-1 deficit to win it all. MLB Central comes your way. 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by game six joining us now to talk about it from houston writer espn.com analyst you see him on baseball tonight he has authored three books i can't think of many better to discuss this game than kim tim kirchin how are you how is it possible that i screwed up your first name when my first name is the exact same as your first name 
Yeah, most people always get my last name wrong. <laughs> yes. Few have gotten my first name I, wrong. I was psyching, okay, though. I was psyching myself out. Maybe I was getting ready for the Kirchin. Uh, what's the biggest surprise to you through five games of this series? Well, one surprise is the Astros, at least in several games, have been shut down offensively by the Braves pitching. Now, the Braves have good pitching, but the Astros had the best offensive team in the American League this year. They put the ball in play more often than anyone. They are a great offensive team, and yet they only have two home runs in this World Series, and certain games they've been completely shut down. Now, in games two and games five, they scored some runs. We'll see what they do in game six against Max Fried. This should be tremendous now that we're back in Houston with a crazy crowd anticipated. Yeah, what's the atmosphere like? Because it already sounds like it's rocking in Houston, and we're still a couple hours away from game time. Yeah, it's rocking pretty good. It was really alive here for games one and two. Again, you have to remember, this is a desperate team. They're trying to erase the narrative from 2017. And the Braves kind of have a desperate team also because they've been to the playoffs 16 times since they last won the World Series. No team's ever gone 16 times without winning. So when two desperate teams play against each other, you usually get some spirited baseball. We have so far and guaranteed we will tonight. All right. Can you explain to me, Max Fried, because Jesse and I in this studio have had two separate conversations <laughs> about how Atlanta was in a great spot because Max Fried was about to make a start. We talked about it against L.A. and we talked about it earlier in this series and uh, he struggled. What's happened between the Max Fried who was if not the best pitcher in all of baseball in the second half, pretty damn close to the one we've seen get lit up in the last two starts. Right, it's confusing. In his first six postseason starts, he allowed 10 runs. In his last two postseason starts, he'd allowed 11 runs. He is not getting that ball inside to the Astros hitters. He's got to get a slider in there. They have recognized that 95 mile an hour fastball and they are not missing it. It took him 67 pitches in his last start to even get one swing and miss. And he's got that great curveball, but they seem to have recognized that also. But he's on full rest tonight. He's been a great pitcher the second half of the year. I fully expect him to pitch much better tonight, but the Astros have gotten a good look at him. This should be fascinating to watch. What's more fascinating, Freed or the two bullpens at this point? Well, that Atlanta bullpen has been absolutely fabulous. The Dodger guys told me, we think we can beat the Braves because we think their bullpen is their weak link, and yet it has been anything but a weak link. Tyler Matzik, A.J. Minter, Jackson, Smith, those foursome have gotten them out consistently. I did not see that happening in this postseason. I didn't see it happening this way in the World Series. If that Atlanta pen has one more good game or maybe two more good games left in them, the Braves are going to win this World Series. Is Dusty Baker's mind going to get a bit of a workout here based on what Garcia does to start this game? Yeah, he's got a kid 
pitching on short rest in an elimination game. That'll get your mind racing right off the start. But this kid throws 96 miles an hour. He's got a great cutter, and when he can get it in on right-handed hitters, he is really dangerous, and he's been really good the last two starts. But in an elimination game, Dusty is not going to wait around. If, if Luis Garcia shows any sign of struggle, he's going to that bullpen early, which we've seen in this series and we've seen throughout the entire postseason. What's the belief like among these Astros that they can come back from this 3-1 deficit? Well, I haven't sensed a moment of panic from them during this entire postseason. There have been three times where I said to myself, the Astros are in big trouble right yeah. now, and they pulled out each time. Well, they're in big trouble tonight, but their postseason experience really helps and the calming influence of Dusty Baker really helps. And when they know we can hit this guy, we've hit him before, that's the change. And that's where I think this will be so much fun to watch to see if the Astros can summon that great postseason experience for the biggest game of the year. My gut tells me always momentum is your next day starter in baseball. But I wonder, after that 4 nothing start, after that grand slam, uh, the Astros scored nine the Braves scored one. Could there be a little bit of maybe mojo working in the Astros' favor as the bats kind of got going there? I think so. So they're the second team in the history of the World Series to be down four to nothing in the first inning and come back to win the game. The 1925 Pirates did that against the Senators. Also in the minds of at least the Braves fans, no team has ever lost a 3-1 to one series lead two seasons in a row. And the Braves, of course, lost a 3-1 lead last year to the Dodgers in the LCS. So there's still a lot of things at play right now. I think this series is far from over. Once you get to six, you always have to think we're going to seven. I can't wait to see what happens tonight. Does your gut tell you we get a seven? I picked the Astros in seven to start the series, so right. I'm going to stick with that. But I will tell you, I have been wrong every step of the way <laughs> in the whole postseason and especially in this series. This is what is so beautiful about this game. Yes. It is so unpredictable. And if anyone actually thinks they know what's going to happen tonight, they haven't been watching baseball for the last 140 years <laughs> and especially in the postseason 2021. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the most shocking thing is the Astros get pitching and they lose two in a row and then they struggle out of the gate and they win that third one. It has been entirely unpredictable. So me asking you what your gut tells you in this moment in time is entirely unfair. <laughs> Yet you handled it like the pro that you are. Appreciate you as always. Mr. Kirchin, I won't say Tim. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Be well. There's Tim Kirchin in Houston ahead of game Number six, and you can see it on the Sportsnet family of channels coming up with MLB Central. We're going to take one last break. Last call, Jesse Rubob, and an introduction to a very bizarre dating show. We'll explain next as we lighten things with Last Call. Next. Another long day here on Tim and Friends, but we conclude with our uh, newly married friend Jesse oh. Rubinoff. 
And a little last call. You got some good stuff for you us here? You know what's hilarious? What? Left it at home. <laughs> I told you yesterday. Like four. I told you. How many, how many days did it take? Yeah, four, I guess. <laughs> Pathetic display by me. Just horrendous. Sorry. Uh, to the wife at home. Oh. Uh, okay. So I call line one. <laughs> it's line one. Really bad. <laughs> really, really bad performance by me. Uh, okay. Uh, don't look now, but the Toronto Raptors are on a four-game winning streak. Last night, they went into Madison Square Come Garden now. without future Hall of Famer Scotty Barnes <laughs> and beat the previously 5-1 and one Knicks 113-104 on a scale of one to Knicks fans after their season opening win over the Celtics. <laughs> What's your excitement level for this Raptors team right now? I got two words for you, Jesse Rubinoff. I have two words for you. Bing bong. I said, I said, we've got it on the soundboard. Bing bong. It is now a part of our daily repertoire here on Tim and Friends. Listen, that was um, their most impressive win of the season. And to go to 3-0 and on the road after spending 600 days on the road, mm-hmm. uh, this Toronto Raptor team is the epitome of road warriors. And to do it without Siakam and Scotty Barnes, who we're hearing will miss at least one more, I didn't think it was capable of happening. Now listen, um, how they silenced that crowd, how they were able to rebound with the Knicks, Uh, and come through in the clutch makes me believe that they are further along than we thought. The only only caveat I will throw at this is the Knicks' only other loss this year at home to the Orlando Magic. Mm. So there is still some inconsistency with this New York team. They didn't shoot the three well, it seems as though at least early on. Uh, They go with the three, even though they have Julius Randle on that team. Uh, There are some caveats, but if you're a Raptors fan of five and three, you've got to be excited about, one, the results, and two, just the way this team plays with a ton of heart, a ton of intensity, and they bring that lunch bucket, kids. And and don't get down when, if there's a couple games when Siakam gets back. No, there's going to be a couple games when Siakam gets back and Scotty's back. It's going to be hard on offense trying to figure out who's going to get all the shots at different times. Don't get down on this team. Have faith that they're going to figure Love it out. Love the preemptive strike. Yeah, because it's going. You know what's going to happen. Rube. No, you know it's going to happen before gonna come back. Pascal comes right. back. Right. Right. Like this is what a young team does. You see what happened in game one, and then you see the polar opposite in game eight. No question. Uh, you, you know, uh, you mentioned the Bing Bong off the top. We got a shout out. Bing yes. Bong. You got a shout out, Mike Breen. Who oh, also yes. used it yesterday the during the bomb. broadcast. Why don't we have a listen to uh, Mike Breen, the legend himself. Julius Randle banks it in! Bing bong! Julius Randle! Do you think he'll use that I don't on so. non-Nick broadcasts? No. There's a legendary bang. No way. There's the bang! Bang! No. Could Wrong. he add a big bong bang? There's no chance. There's a 0% chance he'd do that. Zero. I would be stunned beyond belief if he does that. I would absolutely love yeah. Mike Breen added bing bong bang. I don't even think he's going to continue to do to it for the, the Knicks. Because I think after a while, this thing is going to be He's a Hall of Famer. What does he care? Yeah, I guess not. He's trying to fit in with the bing cool kids. That's good. Uh, okay, despite all the drama surrounding the Philadelphia 76ers, they're off to a 5-2 and two start in the season. And last night, <laughs> without Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons, the Sixers beat the Blazers 113-103. There have been trade rumors involving Simmons and Portland's Damian Lillard. 
and the Philly crowd let Dame know how they felt when he was at the free throw line in the first quarter last night. We want Lillard. We want Lillard. Right. That's not happening, obviously, right? You could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. When the, the thing and the thing and the thing. And the thing. And the thing. Right. It's not happening? No. Ben no. Simmons for Dame Lillard? No. No, it's not happening. The one thing about Dame Lillard, and listen, um, Dame Dollar can actually spit. And uh, he, he did a freestyle on... Uh, I think it's bars on I-95. And uh, a lot of people are pointing to the freestyle as evidence that he may move on because he talks about his Achilles heel. Uh, we have connects, so here's how it sounded. <laughs> Dame Lillard, DeMar DeRozan, Rarely Bill, mm. Trill. Me not wanting to join a super team. Might end up being my Achilles heel. Him not wanting to bars. join the super team might be his Achilles heel. He's talking about dudes that never went to those super teams. I don't think that Dame Lillard is going to go to those super teams. Uh, but then again, a lot of people who I didn't think would do that yeah. ended up doing that. I just think he reiterated last night, he's got 10 toes, I think is what he said, 10 toes in Portland. He ain't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe that's subject to a, another song from Dame somewhere down he's the line. He's not like a Kentucky linebacker yeah, and he has so. 11 fingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I saw that picture. <laughs> Very bizarre. Uh, okay, let's go to football. Kansas City Chiefs are back to 500 after they pulled out a 2017 win over the Giants on Monday Night Football. There was a lot of concern about the two-time defending AFC champs after their blowout loss to the Titans last week. I mean, they didn't look much better last night. Did it ease any of your concerns? You just said it. Well, I they mean, did not I, I did sit here, like, what was it, three weeks ago, and nearly made a bet with you that... So do you want to answer this question then? Because it, you you nearly made a bet that win the AFC that's championship. The, that's the key word. We couldn't figure out what the bet was, who I got in, in return for your bet Tim. of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I ask you... Now that you have the opportunity, because we couldn't figure out who I got in return, would you still think that they're a favorite to move on? No one in their right mind would take them at this juncture. They look horrendous. Horrendous. They look terrible last night. Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden is now like a, like a check down quarterback because they can't get anything going deep. They don't bring the safeties down. He can't figure it out. Travis Kelsey looks 32. Looks like he's lost a step. And so what do you do? Just double team Hill and, and Kelsey and they can't figure it out. They have no running game either. I think that's, I think it's because they only have three weapons and no offensive line. Yeah, not even to mention the defense also. Yeah, so there's a stat that I've been following for years now. And it's about teams that make the Super Bowl missing the playoffs. Since 1999, 50% of Super Bowl losers have missed the playoffs the following year. Since that same year, 99, 43% of those who have played in the Super Bowl, mm. almost half of every team that's played in the Super Bowl since 1999, missed the playoffs the following year. Are the Kansas City Chiefs, never mind not going to make it to the AFC Championship, are they not going to make the playoffs? Very realistic chance that they don't. They have the hardest schedule over the next, what is it, eight weeks? In the NFL? In the whole league? Yeah, like, look, you can't go like up it. against the, like, you can't play the Cowboys or whoever else they're going to play. You can't play those teams looking like they did last night and against the Titans. You're going to get smoked. 
Yeah, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys are their next three weeks. You look at the combined record of those teams. Uh, they're in some trouble moving forward. And let's just be honest, they have looked like an average team. 100% agree. Yeah. Sad for me because I was this close to making that bet. I guess not sad for me, but sad that I had. No, I thought they were favorites. Maybe it's just a lesson one. for you moving forward. To not make bets? Just don't question Uncle Timmy when All he right, says okay. Fine. the Chiefs don't look like the Chiefs Fine. anymore. Yeah. That's truth. Yeah, you spit facts. Okay, uh, staying with the Chiefs. They traded Scotty Barnes. Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif to the New York Scotty Barnes Jets. after the draft. <laughs> Ahead of today's NFL trade Uncle deadline. Timmy knows his itch every once in a while. Like, when I say something. You're right about that, too. I don't yell and scream. Yeah. But when I say something, yeah. you damn well better listen. You tweeted twice about Scotty Barnes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, seems like a downgrade going from the Chiefs to the Jets for Duvernay-Tardif. But could this actually be a good move? for LDT. I just, I don't understand what was happening in KC. Uh, their offensive line was struggling. They didn't have room for him. They didn't need him anymore. Um, I I don't know if taking the time off put him in a, in a difficult spot with Kansas City. I thought Andy Reid was the ultimate, um, you know, backer of LDT. Uh, I'm going to have to do a little bit more research into what happened here. But as Laurent Duvernay-Tardif uh, sent out earlier today. Uh, I don't know that he ends up being what he ended up being, which is a damn hero, mm -hmm. if he didn't have Andy Reid and if he didn't have Andy Reid's mom, who went to medical school at McGill, where Laurent Duvernay-Tardif went to medical school. And because of it all, he is very handsomely paid. Yes. He's got a Super Bowl ring. And he's a damn hero in our home and native land. And he's going to play with a legend that is Mike White. Too. Yes. I can't forget that. 1-0, undefeated. Chets are a juggernaut all of a sudden. Uh, sticking with Canadian athletes, Jonathan David became the fourth Canadian man to score in a UEFA Champions League match today. David scored on a penalty in Lille's 2-1 win over Sevilla well, today. Sevilla. Sevilla, yes, Sevilla. The Canadian men's soccer team will take on Costa Rica next Friday in Edmonton in the first match of the next World Cup qualifying windows. Simple question. Are you excited? Oh, I'm excited. And I love, listen, I don't know if you remember this, but I said on this show before they announced that they were going to Edmonton for this next window of qualifying that I was excited about it. Do you know for Costa Rica on Friday, the chance of snow, 60% with a high of minus one. On Tuesday, we're looking at minus two for Mexico. This is what you wanted. Now, it might not snow, but it'll be sunny and minus two for that game. So this is, listen, it is going to be an absolutely crazy atmosphere. And Edmonton, I hope you give your, uh, your homeboy, your, your son, Alfonso Davies, the kind of reception he deserves as one of the best players on planet Earth. Home pitch advantage. You gotta love it. Uh, okay, we teased By this. By the way, turned 21 today, Alfonso Davies. Isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. 21 years old. 21. We talk about him all the time. He's 21 years old. Unreal. And all he's accomplished already. Okay, um, UK dating show. We teased this a little bit earlier. A contestant was asked who he this? thinks is in a relationship. This is called the love trap. So I'm going to play it for everybody. Dobbs, I am playing it from my computer, right? David, who do you think is a love trap?
Shirik. because we haven't seen right. You see his eyes? Like everyone's reaction. I have so many questions after seeing this. Like, is this every week? That's incredible. Was she the one already in the relationship? Is that why I she guess, dropped? I guess that means he, he's wrong. Is she okay? Is she still alive? <laughs> Jesse, I have millions of questions. I have a lot of questions, And too. we don't have any answers to I'm them. I'm going to have to watch this show. How do I get it? I have to screw stream it. It's a UK show, right? Oh, there's ways. Right. None of them good for Rogers, yes. but there are ways. There are ways. Yes. We might have to pick it up. Maybe we can convince we'll City yeah. TV. Six Arrow's doing that Bachelor thing, right? <laughs> Maybe Love Trap is next. Canada. Stream it on Sportsnet now. Who's going to sign up for the Love Trap? <laughs> All right, that does it for us. Great night of games across the network coming up. As you can see, NBA, World Series, NXT, a couple hockey games. Enjoy, and we will talk again well, she's tomorrow. Okay. You don't know that. You're just saying it.